Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture, edited by Jim Harris, and music by Mike Hall. We are going to talk about the newly released Wonder Woman 1984 Normally, we don't really do a lot of new release movies because I don't like doing new new release movies. I like to absorb it and think about it before we talk about it. This movie, I decided, or it was my idea anyways, to do just like a first impressions type instead of a deep dive. But then in preparation and in thinking about it, I watched this movie too many times. And I guess it's going to turn into a deep dive. And Jim, I'm really curious on your thoughts on this movie, because generally speaking, you're a deep story guy, and you can really just pull deeper thought-provoking meanings out of movies when I'm just going along for the ride. And in this movie, I just can't really seem to find the story. I had a hard time with that as well. One of the things I did to prep for this, like you said, I'm a big story guy, and I don't like the story of a movie. It is difficult to find. But even the story that it has doesn't follow its own rules. It's not very logically consistent. It's not very coherent. So I'm going to have some, not only do I not like the movie, but I also don't like what you can find of the story. But I would agree, it takes a little bit of digging to try to uncover the story. The actual underlying story is actually relatively simple, but... We seem to waste a lot of time in this. This movie is two and a half hours long. Yeah. And the reason why it's hard to find the story, a lot of unnecessary stuff happens. So right off the top, I guess we should say, spoilers! Yes, definitely spoilers. <laughs> I'm going to spoil the shit out of this movie. We're recording this the weekend it came out. So we came out on Christmas Day in the United States, at least. It was available at 12 noon Eastern time on Christmas Day in the United States. I think I started watching it almost as soon as it was available on HBO Max. Yeah, I think it was like 10 minutes after it was available is when I started it. Basically, I wanted to make sure it was available. Then I made some popcorn. Then I started watching it. And maybe this also hurt me. I also intentionally watched the first Wonder Woman movie immediately before watching this movie. So I watched the first Wonder Woman movie, maybe had like a 10-minute break, and then started watching this one. Yeah, I, I watched this one standalone because I just wanted to absorb it. And then the second time I watched it, I did that. I watched the first one, and then I watched this one immediately afterwards. And man, back-to-back -back makes this one even worse. So I guess generally speaking, I didn't really enjoy this one either. Yeah, it was, I don't know if, I mean, I don't think it could have been better if I hadn't watched them back-to-back, -back, but it definitely didn't help. Now, <laughs> you actually watched this three times is that correct yeah so i mean i watched it the initial watch just you know to watch it and then i i watched a couple of reviews on this and then i wanted to watch it again while i'm taking notes for the podcast with that in mind of what i had heard from the other reviews i think maybe i can enjoy it a little bit more with with what they had said and i didn't and then I watched it again today while I was taking notes, but it was more of background at this point because, yeah, that's all this really is. And in watching a lot of the reviews, I, I saw a lot of people enjoying the movie for different reasons. 
usually for most people that enjoyed this movie it kind of revolved around a nostalgia and references for the comic books and the linda carter tv show that ran from 1975 to 1979 abnormal for me i actually didn't really read many of the wonder woman standalone comics so i'm not as familiar with her universe and the tv show was before my time it also drew a lot from the original Superman movies with Christopher Reeve. And yes, while I do like those movies, they're very much of their time and they just feel out of place today. And so I just think this movie, it wasn't for me. And that's okay, but it just wasn't for me. And for me, I was all of four years old when the Wonder Woman television series was on. So I actually saw it in reruns. I mean, it was only on the air for three years. I saw it as a kid, but even by the time I saw it, it was already off the air, but, and I was still young. But I saw it right around the same time as I saw the Christopher Reeves superhero movies, because those came around, I think, in the late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm. And it definitely had a lot of, like, one of the things that popped through my head as I was watching this was, it's set in 1984. It feels like it was made in 1984. Yeah, kind of. Because it has that kind of like campiness and a little cheesiness to it Mm -hmm. that was very indicative of both the Wonder Woman television show and the Superman movies. But back then, that was almost excusable because that's the way the comic book stuff was portrayed back then. That was as good as we could hope for back then. Plus, movie-making technology was pretty... and television-making technology right. back then was also pretty poor. So we weren't going to get a lot of like great special effects and, and stuff like that. Yeah, But it definitely had that feel for it. And I think that might have been part of what they were going for? I think it very much was what they were going for. Yeah, part for me, I, I like those Superman movies just because that's the best they could do at the time. And I just liked Superman. And I did see some reruns of the Wonder Woman TV show, but Man, those, even like The Incredible Hulk and, and those shows back in the day, I tried to watch them and I tried to like them because I was interested, but they were just so cheesy and they couldn't do what they should have been able to do to make it good as far as, because I read the comics and, and I wanted to see the comics on the screen and there just wasn't a way of doing that at the time. And so I just, I always felt they were really cheesy and and everything. I never really got into them that much. So, And that's probably bled into this for me as well. Yeah, it's kind of like like the Wonder Woman 1970s TV show was somewhat similar to Batman 66. Yeah. That level of campiness and cheesiness, a little bit less campy and cheesy, but still campy and cheesy. But it was also occasionally enjoyable. Yeah. But it was, it, it was what it was. The difference there is the Batman 66 cheesy campy was on purpose. Yes. And that made it more entertaining. Yes. They leaned into that because, like you said, it was on purpose. The Wonder Woman 75 series, the original, you know, Incredible Hulk series, and some of the Superman movies of the time, it's like, it wasn't intentional, but it came out that way. I mean, looking back now, it seems very campy and cheesy, but even at the time, it felt a little bit like that. But again, also, back then... Superhero movies, I mean, they still are sometimes not held in very high regard anyway. They definitely were not right. held in, in high regard back then. No one was expecting either of those shows or, or some of those movies to be good. But they were expecting them to at least be entertaining enough to, at least uh, Superman movies, 
to perform well at the box office. That was about their own yeah. expectation. Well, get, getting back to this, if if you would indulge me, I kind of want to go through the movie section by section. Like I said, I just keep trying to find a story, and I keep hoping that maybe in talking about it, that story will pop up that might make it more interesting to me. I don't want to go in-depth into seeing details as we're going through it unless the conversation brings us to it. Because if you're listening to this, we've probably you've seen it already, so you know what I'm talking about. So... The opening scene uh, with the, I'm calling the Amazonian Games, which is a nice spectacle, but really it seemed ultimately pointless to me. Yeah, it was. Uh, several people have written about the fact that it's modified but lifted from the Wonder Woman comics. It was even something that they did in the Wonder Woman television show with Linda Carter. They changed it a bit, but this was actually, for me, the only good part of the movie. It was cool to watch. Right. I, di- I didn't understand why we were seeing it. I was like, I don't yeah. know what the point of this is, especially with young Diana being in the mix, as opposed to adolescent yeah. Diana, at least, or just before she leaves the island Diana. So I was like, I don't understand why, other than maybe to give us another moment with her mentor yeah. that who died in the first movie. So yeah, it's like, I didn't understand why we were doing it. But it was a well-done sequence. Yeah, it felt like it was trying to set up for some sort of life lesson that pays off later, but they forgot to finish the thought and to bring it back. Well, that was like the thing that I got like at the end of the sequence is sort of like, here's a moral of the story right. type of thing. Antiope, her mentor, tells her, you can't win because you cheated. And she says, you know, no true hero is born of lies. So it's like, oh, okay, so there's some like moral of the story don't cheat, don't lie type of thing. And we get some weird statue of a woman who looks like what we had seen of her dressed in gold in a trailer and stuff. It's like, okay, apparently they're going to come back to that at some point. By the end of the movie, I had freaking forgot about that opening sequence entirely. (laughs) But that was about the only part I can look back and say, you know what, that part was at least, although I don't know what it was supposed to achieve, but it was at least well done. Yeah, I mean, it, it... It set the theme of the movie as being about truth and that cheating to win is dishonest to yourself and others. But they don't really, like, truth keeps coming up verbally, but that's about it. Yeah. I did also just almost immediately was like, wait a minute. Diana at that age is the same Diana at the beginning of the first one, about the same age, when she wasn't allowed to train yet. She wasn't allowed to train until she was closer to a teenager. Right, so she wasn't badass yet. At the very least, she wouldn't have had the bow skills to be able to do this stuff. So I, I think they they kind of forgot what they had done a little bit. Yeah, like the story from the comics, and which I know very, very little of, and the story from the Wonder Woman television show is, it was actually set right before Diana leaves the island, and her mother didn't want her to participate in the game, so she actually participates in oh, disguise. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that one, yeah. So that was, but again, in the comic book and in the TV show, it's adult Diana about to leave the island. It's not child Diana who doesn't have skills right, and that's yet. not just a game, though, in that one. That one is uh, whoever wins this gets to be the representative of the Amazons. Yes. You know, that's why she, want, she fought so hard to win that. Whereas this one, she's just being a bratty kid. Yeah, exactly. Earns the right to leave the island. Yeah, which is what she wanted to do. But yeah, so yeah, this bratty kid. But yeah, like like I said, in the original movie, that kid didn't have those skills right. yet. So yeah, I don't know. So it started me off. I was happy because I like watching that scene. 
but also it kind of started me off on the wrong road because I'm like, wait a minute, she's not supposed to be able to do that yet. And then moving on to the next one, next part is the mall scene that we see. There's a robbery and she saves the day. And this whole scene is just very in-your-face 80s and extremely campy to the max to be more 80s. And it seems to be the only reason it's really set in the 80s. I can't really figure much else other than the Cold War thing towards the end. But that could be any time. It doesn't have to be the 80s. Yeah, a lot of people have actually jokingly said it's like it's one of the least 80s, 80s movies they've ever seen. And a few people actually pointed this out. There's no 80s music in it. I think there's one song. But it's like, I mean, there was some fashion stuff. There was breakdancing. There was one song. But yeah, it's not really other than in the Cold War thing. But yeah, this, it's weird that it's set in the 80s for that. But yeah, that, op- that scene in the mall, that was around, like I was tweeting while I was watching this. And at the end of that scene, I tweeted like 20 minutes into the movie, wow. And I don't mean that in a good way. Because <laughs> like you said, it's very campy. And in all honesty, I thought I didn't know anything about the, the mid credit scene. I honestly was waiting for uh, Linda Carter cameo in the mall. I was expecting her to be like like the mother of one of the kids. Because it's like, this seems like an homage to the 1975 mm-hmm. television series. So maybe they're going to do a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and have like Linda Carter be like that girl's Throughout mom. The whole movie, I was looking for that. But after that scene ends, it's like, since that didn't happen, it's like, I don't know what the point of that was. <laughs> To me, I think it was really just, like, they just stretched that fight out so much longer than it should have been. But I think it was just, that whole scene was just to remind us what our powers and tools are. To show the headband, to show the lasso, you know, just show her the way she moves around, the way she fights. Just as a reminder of, hey, this is the character. That, that's, that's about it. And then it kind of goes from there into, it bleeds into, a, like, a photo montage of everything that's happened between the movies. If you follow along, kind of what you know shows her in chief. I think it was freeing some people in World War II from camps. It shows the uh, the woman that helped out with the uh, back at the office while they were doing their fighting. Etta Candy. Yeah, it showed her as an older woman when they're on a ship together, and you know stuff like that. It, it, just kind of a photo montage. And then you know you got the lonely dinner. It kind of shows that she's very lonely and misses Steve still, but when she's fighting and everything, she seems to find a lot of joy in helping everybody. And that that's about it. It's just kind of a reminder and a setup of here's where she's at. So then we we jump into the museum scenes. We meet Barbara uh, first in the museum, and then later at dinner we kind of get to know that character. We learn a, or see the first time, somewhat learn about the super magic godstone thing. And we meet Max the Lord. Diana saves Barbara walking when she's walking home alone. And it ends with the party and reintroduction of Steve Trevor. Now, one thing that just immediately pissed me off when we first meet Barbara Minerva is she's such a cliche, unpopular person that it, it hurts. I'm so sick of that. I'm tired of seeing, oh, she's got messy hair and glasses and she's, people don't pay attention to her. Aww. Not to jump ahead, but all she has to do is take off her glasses and, and uh, ruffle up her hair and all of a sudden she's beautiful right. and popular. But yeah, it was um, disappointing. I mean, I wasn't terribly happy with Kristen Wiig's casting. I mean, I like 
her as a comedic actress, so I don't have anything against her, but it's like, I don't understand why she had to play Barbara Minerva slash yeah. Cheetah. The only, the only issue I had with that, I mean, she does okay with it, but it was very much me watching Kristen Wiig play Barbara Minerva. I wasn't watching Barbara Minerva. Yeah, exactly. Which we, everybody pretty much expected. And, and just as an aside, going into this movie... I usually seek out, like, spoilers and try to figure out what's going on beforehand. I did not do that with this movie. All I saw, I saw the official trailer once, which I think we saw together in theaters last year during one of the times we went to see Rise of Skywalker. They played the trailer for Wonder Woman 1984. And then other than that, a few snippets of people playing part of that trailer again a couple of times, and that's it. And the only thing that I was concerned about when I saw the trailer was why and how is Chris Pine back? Right. And that was the only concern I had going into the movie. This is like, I hope it's going to be a good movie. I know it's probably impossible for it to be as good as the first one because it was so good, but why and how? And in that museum scene with the Dreamstone and the dude wishes for a cup of coffee, I was like, no. Please, no. No, 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 no. Don't have her wish Steve back. Please, no, 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 no. And that's what happens. Yeah. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. And that was the point at which I tweeted, seriously, what the fuck is this? That's that's where, like, up till that point, I wasn't really liking the cheesy, campy story. But like I said, the story was still slowly unfolding. But once we got to that point, I was like, facepalm. I was like, no, no, don't do this. Please don't do this. I stayed on board at that point. I was like, all right, they, they might be able to do something with this. Let's see, let's see where it goes. I was disappointed. But at this point, I was on board. I, I do want to point out, quickly talk about, too, that the scene when she's walking home uh, in particular, and there's a bunch of other parts of the movie that kind of bring this up. But I think this movie was really punching home the point of, and it shows a lot of examples of, how men, even when well-intended, when they approach or compliment women, they don't really realize that it, it comes off at best creepy and annoying and at worst threatening, especially when attractive women who have to deal with it all day, every day. I kind of liked, but then kind of like what, what you say about uh, Family Guy jokes, how they kind of beat it to the point of, okay, let's do we have to keep pushing that button? But yeah, I, I do like that they pointed that out with examples instead of just saying it. And I also do like the fact that they also softened it or made it more realistic that the guy was also drunk. He was a dick, right. but he was also a in drunk that scene, dick. And, but then if you, like, throughout the movie and a lot of those scenes, both of them, like, guys just keep trying to talk to them as they're just walking by and stuff like that and keep saying things to them just as they're walking by trying to mind their own business. Right, and they have to keep saying, no, thank you. So yeah, but yeah, like you said, they, they beat that drum a few too many times. I don't know, maybe they needed to. I just wanted to bring that up because in all the reviews that I've watched so far, nobody's really talked about that, which surprises me because I think that's kind of the, for me anyways, one of the biggest takeaways from the movie. As you mentioned, uh, yeah, Barbara's transition after her witch, other than strength and balance, is just basically she combed her hair and put on different clothes, took off her glasses. Yeah, that was ridiculous. I'm tired of that. 
But I do want to take a little bit to talk about Max Lord and that character. Okay. He's introduced here. He's very flamboyant and everything. And I've heard a lot of people say that it's an obvious inspired by Trump. And that's might be why it was in the 80s. Uh, as a crazy-haired, failed businessman that wants everything and pushes to appear successful and lavish. But actually, no, he wasn't actually based on Trump. He was actually based on a character from the 1987 movie Wall Street, Gordon Gecko, with a little bit of Lex Luthor from the 78 Superman mixed in. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely, I didn't see him as, I didn't see him as Trump, but he might have been Trump-like. He, he was a, a con man. But I didn't see him as inspired. I've by seen Trump. a lot of people say that he was obviously a mirror image of Trump, but I didn't see that right away either. No, because he cared about his son, <laughs> kind of, sort of. Valid point. Ah, uh, but no, I, yeah, I, I saw I saw several people make that analogy, but it's just like no, he was kind of like a stereotypical '80s businessman. Yeah. Greed is good, the Gordon Gecko thing. So yeah, that I so yeah, I didn't I didn't like the character or the quote-unquote acting of Pedro Pascal in the character. I kind of enjoyed the acting, but I didn't really like the character that much either. And when they're talking about whether he was inspired by Trump or inspired by the other character, why wasn't he inspired by the comic book character? That's my question. Yeah, exactly. It's like, why wasn't he inspired by the character he's actually playing? I'm not super familiar with that character, but I did look up that his power is actual telepathic persuasion. Why did they even have to... If they're going to use that character, why do they need the Dreamstone? Why not just have him have the powers he has and make the movie based on that if you're going to use him? Yes, exactly. It was um, just... Yeah. Yeah. So after that, we get to the uh, Welcome to the Future Steve section, which is kind of commingled with Barbara exploring her transition. So which we kind of get into what you were saying before. You know, Steve comes back. She wishes him back, and instead of just coming to life, he takes over a random guy's body for some reason? Yeah, this was, I wrote this down, his soul is quantum leaped into another guy's body, to use another 1980s reference. Kevin Smith, that was his reference, too. (laughs) But at first I thought, when I thought it was like, oh, this is going to be really bad, they made Steve's watch, like, tremble in, like, Diana's apartment. And I thought she was just going to, like, walk in and, like, the watch was going to be missing from the mantle. And then she turns the corner and Steve is just standing there. But no, they quantum leap him into some rando dude that doesn't look like him. And initially, Diana doesn't even acknowledge that it's him until they do the whole watch thing. I wish we had more time, blah, blah, blah. Replay of the end of the first movie. And then Diana magically sees that it's him. Yeah. Even though later we see that when he looks in the mirror, he still looks like that guy because he is literally kind of quantum leaped into that guy's body. And here's where a lot of people are like, oh, isn't this such a great romantic love story? Um, Diana basically uses that other guy as a fuck doll and essentially rapes him repeatedly through the movie. Well, we don't, we don't know how many repeated... But they definitely spent one night together. They, they, they had sex and Pop-Tarts yeah. a lot in that dude's apartment. I was like, um, yeah, she's straight up raping a dude. Yeah, that's super yeah. romantic. And not only that, she knows it's not Steve. It's another guy. 
She knows what she's doing. She's fucking straight up raping the guy and apparently has absolute, sees absolutely no moral quandary with it whatsoever. And not on top of that, she sees him at the end again and then just kind of keeps looking him up and down like, yeah, you know. Yeah, I used you as a fuck doll. Yeah. yeah. It's like, what the fuck was that? The whole scenario with Steve coming back in somebody else's body is just awkward and weird. And you can't help but think about it throughout the whole movie. And what happened to that guy's life? Like, he was just gone for a week or however long this goes on. Yeah, exactly. Like, his family never came looking for him. No one was ever concerned. And he apparently, like, disappeared or something. His job or anything like that. Or the fact that they were putting that dude's life in danger because it wasn't him. It's like, it's like yeah, at no, and even at the end, not to jump ahead, but even at the end when they decide they have to stop doing this, at no point does it ever enter into the equation well, I'm kind of like hijacking some other guy's life. It's not even really me anyway. That never even like... Comes up, yeah. ...is touched upon at all. It's, it's like, what the fuck is this? It's like, and, and the thing that surprised me about this is like, very few people are talking about this. I saw a lot of people talking about the, at least the rape part got talked about a lot, but... Yeah, this is where it went from cheesy and, and campy to fucking straight yeah. up creepy. And the whole thing that you were talking about earlier about the, well, isn't it kind of a somewhat positive message about the, the men who verbally abuse or come on to women and maybe not knowing that what they're doing is wrong as kind of a good message? There's no fucking good message you can take out of the rapey fuck doll scenario. There's actually, well, as a couple notes later, there's actually quite a few not good messages in this movie. I think they, they inadvertently put into it. Yeah, I'm about to say, I'm going to come back later, too, when we get back to, like, the storytelling stuff. I've heard most people talk about how good this movie is by talking about its underlying message while ignoring how it tells it. But there are several disturbing messages in the movie, but that's the one that I find the most disturbing. Uh, on a positive side, though, this, this whole section kind of mirrors the first movie, but reverse roles, which was kind of entertaining. It was entertaining, but I didn't find it as entertaining as people's like, hey, look, he's the one who has to do the the fashion show, and he's the fish out of water who doesn't understand uh, the world that he's in now. That was done more organically and less over-the-top comedically. It was done for a purpose right. in the first movie. She couldn't walk around dressed like an Amazonian warrior in 1918. She had to put on, quote-unquote, normal clothes. And she did a little fashion show thing, but it was more... Right, and this one, it was more of a, wouldn't it be funny if, and then they took it on way too long. And it was ultimately unnecessary. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, put on a few more fanny packs and parachute pants. That was funny. It's like, why? Why are we doing this? And then, I guess, going into Barbara and her transition, she, you know, realizes she's strong and goes to a gym in very 80s style and starts lifting weights and don't know, I've never seen yet anybody else that caught this but the part where she picks up the big bar over her head and then drops it and the end of it breaks just snaps and rolls off to the side because i'm pretty sure it was made out of foam and they just let it left it in there i don't know if anybody else even caught that i saw that it broke off but i normally would think was like when power lifters do that for real it just bounces i saw that as more of it wasn't just so much that she dropped it she kind of like threw it into the ground while she was dropping it, and her super strength broke eh. it. It was still stupid. 
I did notice. I, I did notice that because I was like, "How come it broke?" It's like, oh, I guess maybe she's so strong she even breaks it when she throws it down. I might have bought that if the next one over had actually fallen off of it as well, and if there was some kind of noise when it broke. But no, there wasn't, and it was ridiculous. And they left it in. It was a very '80s gym, yeah. though. Very. <laughs> 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 and then the section kind of ends with with Max basically wishing to be the genie and somehow knows how to manipulate people because he understands the rules of it somehow. This is one of the things I was going to get into later, which we can come back to, but how the rules of the Dreamstone get inconsistently applied throughout the movie. But I was partially not as disappointed as I thought I would be because I literally thought we were going to get the genie thing of... I wish for infinite wishes. Yeah. Oh, if you get one wish, oh, how are you going to get around that? I could wish for infinite wishes. Oh, no, I just want to become the Dreamstone. Huh? Okay, that's only marginally better. I looked at that, I was like, all right, well, let's see where this goes, I guess. I was still somewhat on board, and I was like, they could pull it off. Maybe, maybe it'll turn around. Because remember, I'm the one that actually likes Justice League and Batman v Superman. Upon repeated watchings, I've learned to like it. And this one, I'm like, okay, you know, the, those ones, they they pulled through and they told a story. It may not have been great, but they told a story. Let's see where this goes. And it just doesn't really go anywhere. So I guess from there, it goes into the investigating the stone. It becomes a mystery scavenger hunt movie where they're trying to figure out what the stone is. They go to Egypt and Wonder Woman starts losing her powers. And this was actually, I think, around... I think this is when we got close to around the halfway point of the movie. It might have actually been a little bit after they first come back from Egypt, might be when it was. But as we approach, like, the halfway point of a movie, like an hour and 15 minutes in, my next-to-last tweet was, if I was actually watching this in the movie theater, I would seriously consider walking out. Because the movie, at that point, was just so bad that I was like, I, al- I almost don't care what happens next. It's like, I don't even care what they do with the rest of the movie. There's no way to save this movie from how bad it is. Yeah. Well, at this point, I was still on board. Yeah, I mean, I've never walked out of a movie, but it's like, I would have seriously considered walking out of this movie if I actually saw it in yeah. the theater. But I, I, I powered through and, and watched the rest of the movie. Yeah, the, the, the part I found not necessarily difficult to watch, but... I was just kind of really like, really, that's they're they're going that far with this. Is when the the Barbara starts turning quote unquote bad by defending herself and just beating the crap out of that drunk that assaulted her earlier and was trying to assault her again. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess she goes overboard with it slightly, but she's really just defending herself. I don't really see that as a bad turn. Yeah, the if the homeless guy hadn't stopped her, she probably would have killed him. Maybe. But yeah, that was maybe. But yeah, that was a weird... Again, I guess I'll just come back to it later because I want to be able to point to lots of things throughout the the movie. The whole idea of the way the Dreamstone works and how its rules are applied is very inconsistent and doesn't really follow its own Yeah, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that later too. So yeah, at this point, yeah, at this point it was kind of... I'll just let you keep going. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that later. I just want to talk about, there's the, the chase scene 
which is really the only time she really tries to use her powers in the movie. It's the only time we hear her theme song, I think, in the whole movie. Her powers are starting to dwindle, which doesn't really make sense because why her powers slowly dwindling when everything else is instant, which goes into the inconsistency that we'll talk about later. Yeah, that that's my that is one of my big issues is pretty much everyone else the whole idea that the dreamstone you make a wish and it takes something from you that you consider valuable or your most valuable thing which max uses somewhat creatively by then choosing four people which again breaks the rules but the idea that it was an instantaneous effect for everyone else except yeah. diana she gradually loses there her was powers. also kind of a she gradually loses while barbara gradually gains and it was weird. It didn't it didn't make sense. I don't know if it was Barbara gradually gains or she just net really hadn't tested the limits of her power yet. Too. But yeah, but yeah, Diana gradually losing them was bad. I don't want to bring this up at this point, but one of the other things that annoyed me about the movie, just because you mentioned that scene, the lasso. Yeah. I was I have that on later too. <sighs> it is incredibly overused in this movie. But that scene that you're talking about when she lassos like the bullet or the artillery round that's about to kill Chris Pine was one of, not the only, because it's, it, the lasso is used to such ridiculous yeah. effect in this movie. But that was one of the first times that I was starting to see it's like, really? It, it gets worse yeah, it from there. But that was one of the first times that I was like, the lasso of truth has a purpose. It became basically her primary weapon throughout the vast majority of the movie. Yeah, they... So, they were in the first movie, and, you know, Justice League and such, they, they're pulling from the more of the New 52 version of the character that primarily uses the sword and shield. And in this one, they're reaching back to early days Wonder Woman. And, again, I would like to point out on this, this point, too, that when she tries to save those kids, she kills those kids. Oh yeah, that was my immediate response too. It's like those kids—they hit their heads on the concrete. They're 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 gone. Yeah, she didn't like shield them with her body. It's like she fucking face planted them into the concrete. They're dead. And other consistencies <laughs> that, that I caught a little bit the first time because I was like, well, that just seems out of place. But maybe I just miss saw. And then throughout the section, I kept seeing it changing. Was at the very beginning of the scene when they after they buy the car and they're trying to chase them chase them down various windows are open then closed in that car when you're when she's looking at max lord from inside the car all the windows are closed but then when she's when max lord is looking back at her the back windows open and she's holding on to it from from the inside reaching out holding on but her windows closed but then it switches over and then both windows are open and just every time the the camera changes from to a different angle, different windows are open or closed. And I don't know why I noticed that, but I did, and it drove me nuts. Yeah, and, and that was the... I think that was the first scene where we started to see that her powers yeah. were dwindling. And it didn't immediately click to me that that was what was happening. Because I was like, this is kind of turning into somewhat of an underwhelming action yeah. sequence. And why isn't she so, why isn't she like easily taking care why of these guys? Why is she struggling so hard to push these vehicles? 
Yeah, exactly. Why is she hiding underneath the vehicle from being shot at? It's like, and then it clicked afterwards. Like, oh, that's what they were showing is that she's less power. She's becoming less powerful. Yeah, it didn't hit now. me until a little bit later. I was thinking because they really show it when she loses her grip on the lasso when she's swinging to save the kids. I was like, oh, maybe it's just because she got hit in the shoulder and she's not used to pain. I don't know. Yeah, the fact that she was, like, all bloodied and stuff, and, like, because at the end of that scene, she was like, you're not doing well. It's like, yeah, she's, like, usually not that bloody, or if she gets bloody, she heals pretty quickly. It's like, oh, something's happening with her doing a whichever Superman movie where Superman lost his powers type of thing. Oh, okay, that makes it a little bit better, but it was still rather under... I'm torn. I'm, I'm glad they showed us instead of just telling us, but... I kind of wish they'd have told us to make us understand a little bit. But then again, if they'd have told us, we'd have been like, well, how do they know? And I don't know. I don't think there was a way to win on that one. There wasn't. And and that was also one of the first scenes, again, that the lasso jumped into my mind. There's many more examples of this uh, earlier, but this was, I think I actually said out loud, she's the friendly neighborhood Wonder Woman. <laughs> I've got a joke like that coming up. <laughs> Because she's basically swinging around on the lasso like yep. she's Spider-Man swinging around because she tries, like she said, she saves slash kills those kids. But even like earlier in the movie, it made me flash back that I was like, was that why she was at the mall? She's just hanging out, stopping robberies at the mall? She's a friendly that neighborhood Wonder Woman. <laughs> and actually, that, that very first scene when she is like going through like just randomly saving people like walking down the street that's very spider-man-esque oh yeah but yeah sorry i took us off on that tangent but it it becomes brutally for me at least brutally obvious later when she's basically web swinging around the city (laughs) the only other cool thing about this is we actually got the invisible plane even though i'm not too thrilled in how we got it (sighs) at least we got it we got it but i didn't and how did they get the gas to go back and forth and where did they land the plane? And why did that? And they they went to the Smithsonian's airfield, and there was just a fully fueled jet. To right, that's what there. I'm saying. Is where did they get the fuel? Yeah, exactly. It's like that air. They they weren't expecting planes to be taken off anyway. The rest of it, I can kind of go. Okay, you know, they they did show when they came back that he just kind they kind of landed in a field. So I'm like, oh, they could probably find the same thing over there when they landed. That's fine. I'll accept that. But where did they get the fuel? And how did they find the plane again? That too. I mean, she lost the coffee cup. That was funny. At the same time, it's just like, really? This is how we're going to do the invisible plane? Plus, the only other kind of funny part of that scene was Steve Rogers like, oh, they'll never find us <laughs> with the way I fly. And she's like, oh, this is thing called radar. I don't have time to explain it to you. And then his response is, well, shit, Diana. Yeah. Which for me was like, yeah, this is a stupid Language. movie. <laughs> well, shit, Diana. <laughs> so if I was listening to this podcast right now, I would be screaming at the top of my lungs because you just called him Steve Rogers. Oh, Steve Trevor. Steve Trevor. And the reason that I called him Steve Rogers is I saw a really funny exchange on Twitter where a guy was watching this movie with his girlfriend and his girlfriend was response is like, okay, I get it. It's 1984. He's not Captain America yet. His girlfriend thought Steve Trevor was Steve Rogers, and it was Captain America before he became Captain America, being Wonder Woman's girlfriend. That would be awesome. Let's get that movie. Where's that movie at? (laughs) 
Yeah, let's get someone who was traumatized during World War One together with someone who was traumatized during World War Two. <laughs> so I think that that was in my head when I said Steve Rogers. Sorry. I just I just had to point that out because if I didn't, as a listener, it would drive me nuts. Oh, yeah, I'm glad you did because it reminded me of that joke on Twitter. And then we get on to the next section, which is, I just call it Max Lord Goes Crazy With Power. And this is where it lost me. And this is where I want to get into the wishes. Uh, basically, he's just sitting there. He's granting everybody's wishes so he can take more and more and more. And what's what's his cost? I mean, his health is draining, but is it is that the cost of his wish? Or is that granting the wishes is costing him his health? I mean, they don't really explain that at all. Uh, what is Max Lord's overall goal here? Is it power? Is it money? Is it success? What's I don't understand what's going on. They never actually say it. The only thing that they approach to is the general 80s theme of greed is good. I want more. More is better. But here's where, like you, this is where it started to drift in terms of the rules. So when they gave you the Dreamstone at the beginning... You only got one wish, and it enacted a cost from you, where it took either what was most valuable to you or something that you considered valuable. When Max gets the stone and becomes the stone, he now decides, he makes someone else grant a wish, some, something either he wants or something that that person wants. But as soon as that person makes the wish, he then decides what would be most valuable to yeah. him. So not what that other person might consider most valuable. Oh, I'll pick what I want from you, which changes the rules of how the Dreamstone works. But it doesn't, we don't really know how the Dreamstone works. We just know it takes something. And then the analogy that's given is the monkey's paw that takes the most, most valuable thing. Exactly. Well, that's what I mean. It, it's not really well explained, but it definitely shifts to he's now consciously yeah. choosing what he wants. But like you said, why is he suffering any effects at all? If he's become the Dreamstone, the Dreamstone doesn't get destroyed after a couple of people make wishes right. on it. So why is he even suffering any ill effects at all? And why he ends up doing this later? Why not just have someone take someone's health? Say, hey, you're healthy. I'm yeah, healthy he does now that too. Later. Yeah, he, he ends up doing that later. But so it's never really quite explained why he he does something like that. I'm coming up with a theory right now. So the stone itself is not sentient, and it's based off of God's power, right? So it just takes whatever's the most valuable or most valued by default. When he takes on the power, since he's sentient, then he can then decide what the cost is. For each wish. I can buy that. Perhaps the health deterioration is because he's using a god's power in a mortal's body. Maybe. I don't know. You also see throughout the film is he's kind of losing Alistair, which is his son. And I'm like, okay, is that is that his repercussion? Is he's losing his son? Or is that his son's repercussion is that he's losing his father? Because his son does make a wish, and he never says anything of what he's taking in return. Can he decide not to take anything in return? He does once. He gives Barbara a second wish and doesn't take anything in return. But she loses more of her humanity was what she was losing in the first place. So I, I don't know. It's horribly inconsistent. It's never really explained. 
Exactly. It's just one of those things, like, if you want to run with something like this, I don't mean, like, stop the movie and give us a 30-minute PowerPoint presentation on how the Dreamstone works, but establish the rules and follow the rules. Maybe the health thing was the initial cost of his wish to become the Dreamstone. Maybe that That cost was losing his health. Maybe. They didn't really quite make that also, but if that's the case, why then is his health gradually deteriorating? Why does it seem like every time he uses his power, he gets weaker? Shouldn't that have just been a cost? So again, it's just not very consistently applied in terms of that. And then, I mean, they create a problem to create a solution. Right. Problem is, he needs to touch people. He, he wants stuff from people. He needs to create an opportunity to get in front of people with power. The guy in the Middle East who has oil, the president of the United States later. But he has to physically interact right. with them, which limits the ability to use the power. They then come up with a stupid way to get around that, but we'll get to that later. But again, this is like it was just frustrating because that's about the closest thing you could get to a story of the movie of uh, be careful what you wish for. Getting what you want might not always be what you want is the closest you could get to. And the whole, I want more, I want more, greed is good, I want more, is as close as you can get to a story. Where's the end of that? Exactly. It it comes to an end that's pretty stupid, but yeah, it's like, what? So yeah, go ahead. I keep taking taking us on tangents. There are times, like in that end scene, for instance... When he's taking on everybody's wishes, he can't reply to everybody that's given the wishes. So if he doesn't actually specify anything in return, is it just random? Yeah, I have all sorts of problems with that end scene. I'm going to come back to that. Yeah, that's where it gets just, yeah. We'll get back to that. And then, so at this point, a Wonder Woman realizes, or is realizing, she's going to have to give up Steve to get her powers back to save the day. But it's really Steve gives up being Steve. He sacrifices himself again instead of her being strong and pushing him away, which gets to another issue I've got kind of later that it makes her weak. Yeah, I was going to go there, too, in terms of like the great epic love story. It's like I actually think it's kind of cheap. It actually weakens her as a character and as a hero. She can't be happy and fulfilled without a man. She pines, pun intended, for 66 years. For Steve Trevor after he's dead, that's supposed to be seen as a positive right, and thing? Right, that's, that's the point I was going to make is find my notes on this here real quick. Cause... And while you're looking that up, because you mentioned it, the, the thing that we, we meet before that, they, her and Steve and Barbara go see the shaman guy, and they find out, well, there's only two ways to stop this stuff. You have to either destroy the Dreamstone, or you have to renounce your wish. Which is when Barbara takes her true turn. Because she's like, whoa, I'm not fucking... Which is actually one of the only realistic things. I'm not fucking giving up the power I just got. And Diana's like, well, if I renounce my wish, then Steve goes away. But also, doesn't the same thing happen if you destroy the stone? So it's like, uh, what? So you can renounce your wish or destroy the stone, but wouldn't destroying this stone? So it's like, right. what? Yeah, that gets into <laughs> something I want to talk about later, too. That it, Again, the inconsistencies. And I don't understand. Exactly. Yeah, and I have, yeah, I have major problems with the quote-unquote conclusion. Yeah. We'll get there in a the minute. Film, but I, I, go ahead. Did you find your notes? So basically my note here is that in, in a movie that empowers women and is supposed to be about empowering women, 
and is about the strongest woman in the world that is everything anybody could want to be from a culture of only women and still the only thing she wants is a man. Exactly. It's like, how is that a positive message? And, and that's, I'm, ah, uh, it, it's like this movie took about three steps back from the first movie. Oh yeah, I want to come back to that in my conclusion. This movie is like the, at the complete opposite end of the spectrum of all of the wonderful things that the first movie did. This movie just went in such a yeah. complete opposite direction and, on so many levels. And the way levels. Steve kind of comes and goes away, I think it would have been better if he, he had not hijacked anybody's body. Instead, he just kind of reappeared, like you had said, just appeared in her apartment or whatever, wherever she lives. And then when she renounced her wish, he just kind of Thano-dusted away. That would have been much better. Yes, that would have been much more uh, emotionally powerful of her actually having to look into his eyes as he Thano-dusted away. Now she's just going to randomly stalk this guy that used to be Steve for a week. Yeah, I don't know. And then that, that whole thing ends with her angrily running and swinging away and learns how to be a kite. Yeah, she. well, that was the other thing, too, of the immediate reversal. So she renounces her wish for Steve, and she immediately becomes superpowered. It's not gradual again. this time. It's immediate now. It's like, yeah, it's like, took a, it took a gradual decline of power. Now your injuries are completely healed, and you're superpowered again. And now, yep, now you're going to go fly... A kite that yeah. is yourself. And when she was losing her power, it was really inconsistent because sometimes she was still strong, sometimes she wasn't. It, yeah, I don't know. And this is when she becomes friendly neighborhood Wonder yeah. Woman. She literally like web swings through the city before web swinging herself up into the sky. And somehow reaches a plane with her lasso. Reaches a plane with her lasso, which was a little too short for her to hold on to to help the kids, but she reaches a plane. She did at one point, it looked like she either lassoed a cloud or simply just whiplashed it to pull herself forward. But then she straight up lassoes yeah. a lightning bolt. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And then it's like, are you just going to let her fly? Is she gliding on air? Is she flying? It's just like that sequence dragged on. It did. And it was confusing and didn't make sense. It's like, what is the point of this? And then as many people pointed out, it's like, oh, you know what would be a great idea? We, we jumped over a, a scene, by the way, about the president and what Max uh, was doing I, I just kind this. of put that all together with his just overall him going overboard. Oh, with the, even with yeah. the president stuff and everything like that? But, which is also like in the White House scene is another one of the lasso can do everything. I can use it as a shield to stop bullets and all this other stuff. But the funny thing about, she's like, oh, I gotta go stop Max Lord at the TV station thingy. You know what would be a great thing to do right now? I'll fly home and have a costume change. Yeah. Because, obviously, I need to put on the super-powered armor, because not only am I already super-powered, I have to put on the most powerful armor the Amazonians have ever That doesn't worn, work. Which does absolutely nothing, and apparently also has wings, so maybe that's how she can also fly to. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And then as many people have pointed out not to jump ahead, that superpowered Amazonian armor was pointless because it gets ripped to shreds by Cheetah. Let's just talk about that. So, yeah, jumping in, final fight. You know, Barbara actually becomes Cheetah that we all know and love and have wanted to see, although she just says she wants to be an apex predator. Why couldn't they have just established earlier? She, they said she likes zoology. Why couldn't she have just said that she likes cheetahs? And then here she wishes to be more like a cheetah. 
And there was even a cheetah in the background when she said she was a zoology person yeah, at but, the Smithsonian. But then earlier, there was more of a prominent, there's a lynx there. And then the coloring of this is more like a lynx instead of a cheetah. Not to mention the fact that she looks like she had just jumped out of the cat's yeah. movie. I haven't seen it. But I actually, I liked how she looked except Don't. for she was just way too gray. I, I would have liked her to see her brighter colored. But then that armor, which immediately gets ripped off, is built to withstand all of men's power but was immediately just ripped to shreds. And the wings worked somehow, like she could move them around. Uh, was it the same magic as the lasso that does whatever she wants it to do whenever she wants it to do it? I don't understand that at all. And she's pretty much indestructible in her miniskirt outfit. But let's give her a head-to-toe armor because apparently she needs yeah. that. She's already indestructible. So what's the point of the armor? Exactly. Just to get ripped away and look cool for part for a couple minutes. And realistically, so I, one of the things that I was really excited about for this movie was to see Cheetah. So if, if you're not super... Cheetah is Wonder Woman's like number one foe. And right. she was in that form for literally just like just under four minutes. And the entire fight scene was her blocking with the wings of this armor that eventually get ripped off and then she just shrugs off the entire armor and is back to being her again and then there's four minutes of wonder web swinging around (laughs) i i don't know and then at the end of it for some reason cheetah gets the electrical shock but wonder woman's fine Even though she's wearing a metal conductive suit. (laughs) And neither of them are in contact with ground, so it wouldn't actually... Yes, exactly. How the huge electrical shock incapacitated Cheetah, but basically looked like it had absolutely no effect on Wonder Woman, was just a weird way to end, an anticlimactic way to end that fight. And then after that fight, she goes into... Max Lord is basically doing the Riddler's plan from Batman Forever. Broadcasting out, touching everybody, which... I will accept works because he had the one guy wish that it would work. So it worked. Okay. But then it's just, the ending is just, it's so epically anticlimactic. She wins with a speech, but at least she doesn't kill anyone. And then this was one of the things where people were saying as an aside that one of the things that they were hoping to see in some comic book movies or superhero movies was the fact that violence doesn't need to be the answer to everything. I was okay with that. And, and I can understand that sentiment, but it doesn't really make any sense. So she stops the television from broadcasting, but he's still connected to people, apparently, because they're making wishes and he's the dreamstone. And then he steps into like the light beam like that was supposed to do something. But the thing that I really didn't understand was how does her lassoing his leg it do anything? broadcasting the truth, because remember... The lasso is powered by truth and can show people truth, but somehow her speech was going through with that. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. And then that was somehow supposed to like she was saying all this thing you should not renounce your wish, and he's like, why would I ever do that? And she's like, I'm not talking yeah. to you. Okay, it doesn't really make a hell of a lot of sense. I mean, again, obviously the alternative is kill him because he's the Dreamstone, and that would stop all of the wishes. But some of the wishes were just like weird things. It's like people who like wish for a million dollars would be like, no, I'm not going to fucking right. reverse my wish. Why would I Why would I do that? But the, the main thing that I had a problem with was, okay, global thermonuclear war. Oh, all the missiles are in the air. I renounce my wish. Poof. 
the missiles go away. No. The only missiles that were created by a wish were the extra missiles that the president asked to be close to the Soviet Union so that they could destroy them easier. At the very least, the Soviets launched their missiles in retaliation to the U.S.'s strike. At the very least, the fucking United States should have been blown up by fucking nuclear weapons. Because the Soviets didn't wish for nuclear weapons. The president of the United well, we States know, did. Might have. But no, we saw them launch missiles in response to the U.S. That's launching true. missiles. So all of the nuclear missiles go poof, plus some of the nuclear missiles that the U.S. launched were not wish missiles. They were real missiles. The fucking missiles were flying all over the planet. Oh, we renounce our wish. Poof. They all go away? No. It's like, how does that fucking if make sense? If you guys get anything out of this episode... Please have it be the term wish missiles. Yeah. <laughs> yes, wish what, missiles. What I'm so confused on, and I never, I still don't understand. I've watched it three times. I still don't understand. Does everyone, every single person renounce their wishes? Or does, when Max renounce, does everything default to zero? That was going to be one of my other questions because he, he eventually renounces his wish. So does his his renunciation renounce everyone who wished on him? Yeah. Which may, but even then, again, not everything that happened was a direct result of wishes. And the wishes being poofed away just seemed like the world was like on the precipice of nuclear disaster. And then poof, it just goes away. Right. And everything's all cleaned up. All the vehicle accidents and uh, murders and everything just all suddenly get cleaned up. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. The world should have still been, like, completely fucked up. Like, there were a couple of examples of more direct stuff. Like, the guy that says, I wish you were dead, and the woman dies, and then he renounces his wish, and she comes back to life. Okay, there's a little bit more of a direct quid pro quo. But there were a lot of other people who would have, including Barbara, who would I'm like, why would Barbara renounce her wish? Why would she want to give up her power? Did she lose her power because Max renounced his wishes? It's like, I don't quite understand how this works. It's also, for me, this whole idea of just renounce your wish, which a lot of people like go into like the underlying like story of a movie of, you know, greed is bad and, and wanting to do things out of, you made a, a wish out of that you were greedy or angry or selfish wish that had some unintended negative consequences. Oh, that's okay. You can just renounce your wish and it's all better yeah. What? Fuck off. The first movie had what I would call consequential storytelling. There were real risks and sacrifices in that movie. Bad things happen that can't be avoided. They save a village, and then that village gets gassed and all those people die. Steve Trevor, almost called him Steve Rogers again. Steve Trevor sacrifices his life to save everyone. And undoing his death undid the cons one of the consequences of that first movie. But what kind of a fucking message is this? Oh, you wanted to kill somebody, but if you call a mulligan, it's okay. No, you still wanted to kill somebody. You still did a lot of bad shit. Like, why the fuck does Marine One fly Max back to get his son? Why isn't that motherfucker arrested and put in right. jail? They wouldn't be following his orders anymore because he renounced his wish. 
So why the fuck is he get a helicopter lift from Marine One and we get a happy ending for him? The dick who basically almost destroyed the entire fucking world gets to go rescue his son and say, my bad, I'm a bad person and a bad daddy. I'll try to be better. That's a good message. Did people realize that it was him that was doing it all? Would they remember? Again, the rules aren't explained. Right. When the when the wishes get renounced, do we forget who wished the wishes for us? Yeah, I don't know. Plus, it's just like what, what, and 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 also the whole thing of like the renunciation. People renounce their wishes, right? And the missiles go poof. And in other places, like you said, it seemed like some of the destruction that was sort of a, an ancillary effect of the other wishes magically goes away. When Diana renounces her wish, does it just? undo Steve so wouldn't that mean that Steve never came back she never reunited with him she would not remember that happening because it never happened so what what's the consequence there what happened to the invisible plane let me finish this thought here so she acts greedy and selfish ruins a man's life uses him a fuck doll and rapes him but it's okay because she renounced her wish so it's okay now no, she still did a morally repugnant thing. Renouncing the wish does not forgive that. It's like, what the fuck is the people saying that this movie has a wonderfully positive message? What the fuck are you talking about? This movie is fucked up on so many levels, especially yeah. its message. It's a terrible fucking movie, but if you want to talk message, this movie is fucking horrible message-wise. Well, I, that kind of leads me to there's one point that I was making about this movie is just villainizes wanting more, basically saying be happy with what you've got. But then they make that point with a very empty and boring movie. But also another point that I just thought of too is this is a movie villainizing wanting more and you know excess made by people that make millions and millions of dollars for playing make believe. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, you would think that you would think that this major world event too that they just created in that occurred in 1984, wouldn't everyone be like really concerned about Wonder Woman now? It's like, can well, we that, trust her? That leads me to another point that I, that I brought too though is so Batman versus Superman, they established they he flat out said, "You haven't been seen since World War 1. Where have you been?" Right. But then this no one remembers what happened in 1984? And nobody remembers the whole streak of her going around doing stuff, saving people? If Bruce Wayne convinced himself he had to kill Superman, a young Bruce Wayne in 1984 would be like, I gotta fucking kill that Wonder Woman chick too. <laughs> but apparently, when you renounce the wish, apparently we all yeah. forget about it? Really, I, I, I really liken this whole thing to like an after-school special. It has very much that that can't be cheesy. We're going to teach you the moral of a story, almost like a we all woke up and it didn't really yeah. happen, it, which almost kind of feels like how the movie ends. Like, did any of that really happen? Or did the renunciation of the wish, wishes mean that none of those things yeah. happened? But Wonder Woman seems to remember what happened, or maybe she doesn't. Maybe she didn't know who that guy was. But that's also kind of open-ended. I guess maybe you could look, you could maybe view the movie that way, that the renunciation and the wish wiped that whole week from existence and that big do-over, none of that actually happened. Yeah. 
I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm asking. You watched the movie three times, so I only watched it once. I don't have one, answers, so. man. I'm still really confused by this whole thing. So do you want to go back to a conclusion then? I kind of, I've got some other points, like just overall general points. Go for it. I, I mentioned some of them already. I really almost wonder if the whole point of this movie... I keep trying to find a point to the movie. And was the whole point of the movie just to show that Wonder Woman learned how to fly? Did she? Yeah, because at the very end, she jumps up into this air and flies to wherever she hears the sirens coming from. So, like, I mean, you got that scene where she learns how to be a kite and then from there learns how to fly. I, I don't know. That lasso is incredibly magic. It's, it's not just truth. Like you were saying, it it seemed to just be able to do whatever she wanted it to do whenever she wanted it to do it. It's a Swiss yeah. Army lasso. And it does everything. apparently a bungee lasso because it can just reach really far if she swings it hard. It doesn't make sense. Maybe there's something in, in canon that explains that that I'm just am not aware of and they haven't touched on in the movies. Maybe she's a yellow lantern and it's a light <laughs> construct. <laughs> nice. Nerdy reference. But yeah, it's like the overuse of the lasso was just wacky. And I get they were going for just a much more PG version, a a much more light, lighthearted version of of a movie in the DC universe because everything, they're being mocked for being so dark all the time. And I can see them wanting to be a little more positive, trying to be positive. But like you said, that's really not all that positive if you actually think about it. And that's the thing that's kind of weird though, too. I mean, the first Wonder Woman movie... Yeah, it's a little bit dark and gritty, but I mean, it's set during World War One. Right. It would have been stupid to try to make that light and airy. Once you've established that character as, as having been born in war and hardened through actual pain and loss, how do you turn around and go campy and cheesy with the same right. character? It's such a complete, like, 180 that that's what was so well, jarring this movie to me. should have been and could have been... First off, Max Lord, absolute worthless character, and shouldn't have even been in this movie. I think this movie should have focused much more on Cheetah. It should have started kind of the way it did with the two being friends, and then have Barbara start to build up a bit of resentment about Diana and how perfect Diana is, because let's face it, she is perfect. And throughout that, through that, maybe she does find some sort of wishing stone of some sort, and wishes to be strong and fast, more like a cheetah. And then she becomes cheetah, and then blames Wonder Woman for it, or something like that. That could have been a much more interesting movie. Yeah, in the in one of the comic runs, Cheetah gets her power from an yeah, Amazon. There's three deck. different cheetahs, at least, that get their powers in different ways. Yeah, so maybe she accidentally like cuts herself with a dagger, or somehow becomes. Yeah the cheetah somehow and then make that be like like you said she's like wonder woman's chief villain so maybe they could have done something with that but yeah i don't i don't know i mean again going back the first wonder woman movie was a a great origin story excellent character development the setting of historical fiction with world war one the blending of mythology into her origin story and her character development and then, again, the consequential storytelling of real risks and, and real right. sacrifices. And then culminating with a literal battle between right. gods. I mean, it was, like, epic. I mean, it's one of my favorite DC movies, which isn't saying much because a lot of DC movies are, are, are mediocre. But it's also one of my favorite standalone superhero yeah. movies. I really like the first Wonder Woman movie. It is 
an excellent movie. This movie is at like the complete opposite right. end of the spectrum. It's not consequential storytelling. It's campy. It's cheesy. It overplays the romance angle, but it also does it in a creepy way. And it it tries to like like you said an after school special type of moral to the story. There were morals to the story of the first Wonder Woman movie that were done well and felt earned and felt like they she didn't was just saying keep telling us truth, truth, truth. They showed us the morals. And in the first movie, kind of going off what you were saying, the, the first movie worked so well because of the characters, but not just the main two characters. They, we cared for the side characters. We got backstories for the side characters, and we liked oh, yes. them. And in this movie, it just ended up flat. And then, like you said, it culminated in this big, epic fight scene between two gods. There was no big, epic powers fight scene in this entire movie, uh, unless you count the chase scene where she didn't really have all of her powers. Or the Wonder Web swinging scene, which they don't really even fight. They just swing around for a while. Right, and I understand that a fight scene between her and Max would have been very underwhelming, unless he, like, wished right, for Right, but a real fight scene between Wonder Woman and Cheetah would have been amazing. Yes, it would have been. But yeah, they were trying to go with a, a softer, gentler, more approachable, I guess. To me, I mean, this is going to sound stupid because I'm a guy. I don't know anything about feminism. But... Or I should say, I'm not, I don't try to claim to be a feminist or anything like that, but the first film felt like it had a feminist bent to it and created a strong female yeah. hero. This movie felt like it was made by someone who is scared of strong female characters. This movie felt like it was made by an anti-feminist Oh, no, 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 no. A woman's worth comes from a man. And if she doesn't have a man, she's not worthy and she can't be happy. And oh, oh, she can't beat people up. That's not very feminine. I'm wildly off base and I will get yelled at for saying that. But it's like, it's like a very anti-strong woman, anti-feminine movie to me. While I don't disagree with you, it does circle back, though. One of the key points of, of Wonder Woman, what, what makes Wonder Woman an interesting character in a world with Superman and Batman and everything is that she actually does really want peace and she really does try to find ways of winning without fighting. So I'm actually okay story-wise of how it ended peacefully like that without actually having a, a fight with Max Lord or anything like that. But in an action movie, it doesn't work. Is it even an action movie? I guess they tried to create a non well, yeah, a, that's a non true. comic that's book true. action movie, and maybe that's which again, just like on the face of it, it doesn't mean that that would would be a bad thing yeah. to do. I'm not saying that that's why it was bad because they didn't have enough fight scenes and stuff like that, or it had to be resolution through violence or something like that. It's just like that's not why it was bad. I just think it was just not done. Yeah, well. I think they took the aspects of Wonder Woman that we love. And they implemented them in the wrong parts. Like in the mall scene, if she would have used the empathy and resolved that one without violence, I would have been much more fine with that. Yeah, she uses violence against non-superpowered people. At least one thing, though, that, that is consistent. I guess both movies, to me, kind of revolve around the good and evil that reside in all humans and how everybody has a little bit of both. And if... 
the evil can easily be triggered, but overwhelmingly people are underneath generally good, at least most people are. I like that. Both movies are kind of that way, and this one just keeps trying to hammer that home, it feels like. At the end of the first movie, she was like, when she's writing back to Bruce or whatever, she's sort of done that little narration. It was like, yeah, the dark, I see the lightness in men, but I also see the darkness that is within. Which is why I would have almost kind of thought, I mean, again, not to completely change the movie, but it's like, if you wanted to have an excuse to go back to Amazon Island at the beginning of this movie, I would have found it interesting for her to go back after World War II and go back and, like, talk to her mom and stuff. It's like, you know, I defeated Ares in the war to end all wars. And then 20 years later, the world of men erupted in war again. Like, should I even return to the world of men? Uh, Is it all just darkness that will eventually come out? Is there any light left? And again, and then it's, it's 1980. I mean, she's gone through World War II. She's gone through the Korean War, the Vietnam War, and other conflicts around the world. She should almost be a little jaded. It's like men keep starting wars. Why do I want to stay in the world of, of men? That's true. Yeah, I don't know. I, on one hand, though, that would be more interesting that way. But when she left the island, she was told she may never return, which I take it as you might never return because she won't be able to find it again because she doesn't really know where it's at. Well, I took that multiple ways. You may never return because you might die. You may never return because you will not be allowed to return after you've basically spoiled yourself in the world of men. So yeah, I took that as a multi... But, but anybody that knows the character knows she goes back and forth quite a bit once she figures it out. So I, I think that's something they should save for maybe another movie or two. Make it a little more epic. Mm-hmm. But I mean, one of the reasons why I think like her in like the Justice League timeline works, like you said, her character always looks for a way uh, of peace, and, and not just in the movies, but in the comics and stuff. I think that comes a little bit from the sadness of seeing so much of the darkness yeah. in men and being so world-weary and war-weary that she really would like to help people find another way. She grew up in an area where nobody fought each other other than training, and they were training to defend themselves, not to fight war. And then she goes into the world and just sees how everybody treats each other. Like, she comes from an area where everybody respects and treats each other happily and, and good. And then she goes into the world and everybody's just such a dick to each other. But at the same time, she also comes from a place where they are preparing for war almost all the time, But too. in defense. In defense. But, I mean, they are yeah. militaristic. I mean, they also, also are right. academic as well. But, yeah, you're right. She, she, she comes from a very peaceful place. Which, again, in part, you could play up on this. Because it's all women. Yeah. Want to blame dicks. You know, the world of men. I think that's what the first one was trying to say. So, yeah, it's just like, it's... I mean, obviously, they could do lots of, of other things in the timeline or, or whatnot. But, yeah, the bottom line for me, again, is... I, I thought that this was just a, a terrible Wonder Woman movie. I, I agree. I think it's a bad movie in and of itself. I, I, I think, again, some of the things that we talked about, just the, the bad storytelling and the way that the themes were really well-developed, and at times it was hard to even latch on to what the actual story was. But just as a Wonder Woman movie, it's terrible. Probably just a bad movie in general. But it's just so incredibly disappointing when compared to the to the first one. I mean, obviously I'm not going to say that this is the... It's one of the worst DC movies 
and one of the worst superhero movies I've seen. It's not the worst. There are a lot of bad DC and superhero movies. But even in the bad ones, there at least usually there's something that I can enjoy. There's only a couple of superhero movies that I don't even want to see again. Like, I didn't really care for Batman v Superman or Justice League, but there are parts of those movies I can enjoy. There's no part of this movie I can enjoy. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Upon my first viewing... I have no... You've watched it three times now. I I never intend to watch that movie again. Upon the first viewing, uh, my immediate response was, wow, that's one of the worst superhero movies I've ever seen. After watching it a couple more times, I'm like, oh, it's, it's still not good, but I can see where people might enjoy it. So that kind of actually brings me to my... Do you have a metaphorical rating? I tried to come up with one, but I, I really... Why don't you go first? Maybe something right. will come to me. So my metaphorical rating to, to wrap things up here is I'm, I'm giving this an American Idol. It's a lot of people seem to, to enjoy it. It's got good messages to it. It's got some entertaining parts. But overall, it just isn't enjoyable to me because I don't think I'm the target audience. To me, it feels like just a bunch of scenes kind of cobbled together to be somewhat coherent. But once it's over, it just kind of left hungry. And that's it. I had no feelings. I've said many times, whether or not I walk away smiling determines whether or not I liked the movie. And when this got over, I was just like, okay, um, I guess I'd grab some food and go to bed or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's all I got, man. Yeah, I, I'm struggling to come up with a good metaphorical rating. I was toying with like something to do with the lasso, but I mean, I, I can't even come up with a good metaphorical rating because, again, I, I can't latch on to anything. There are some good intentions. Again, when I read some positive reviews of people who, were again, were also being spoiler-free and listening to them talk about the underlying themes of the movie, about, you know, greed and and selfishness and being careful what you wish for and the unintended consequences of only looking out for what's best for you. I understand that, yes, those are the underlying themes of the movie, but you have to look real hard to find those. It doesn't make the movie good. It just makes the idea good. The idea of the movie is better than the movie itself. Yeah. And I'll say, too, a lot, of, a lot of the people that I saw reviewing the movies, they saw, like, pre-screens of the movies. And I really wonder if they're only giving positive reviews so they can keep getting pre-screenings of movies. And there's a couple of them I go watch where I could kind of tell that they're really stretching trying to find things to say positive about it. I really think that the positive reviews are a stretch and they're not nearly living up to what they really mean or what they really think, which kind of goes into, I mean, if you look at the ratings for it, right as of today, IMDb score of it's 5.9 out of 10, and Rotten Tomatoes is 65% tomato meter with a 72% audience score. Those are low numbers. Those are definitely not blockbuster or movie numbers, and this movie would have, I mean, if it actually had come out if COVID didn't screw up the movie schedule in 2020 and it actually had come out when it was originally going to come out, I think this would have bombed at the box office. I agree. Yeah, so it's one of those things. I saw that it had mixed reviews before I see, saw it, which was usually a bad sign because usually studios do a very good job of selectively giving pre-screenings to reviewers that will give them a positive review. 
or at least we'll focus in on a good part of the movie and, and talk about that part of the movie in order to give it a positive review. But the fact that it was getting some negative reviews, even from the pre-screenings, was concerning to me and other people. And I really don't understand how people, other than to go back to one of the points you made, maybe it's simply because we're not in the target audience. Yeah. And maybe the people who really like this movie were looking for something different. I mean, again, we've talked about superhero fatigue a lot. So maybe people were looking for a different kind of superhero movie. And it's definitely a different kind of superhero movie. Just because I didn't like it doesn't mean that other people couldn't. Right. And a lot of the things that I ended up screaming about that I found very problematic, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into those things. It it could be. Yeah, I don't know. But I was excited at first because all I had seen, because unlike you, I do not look at any kind of spoilers. I don't look at reviews or anything until after I've seen it. But I had heard that there was negative critic reviews, which got me excited because, as we've said in the critics and audiences episode, usually if critics don't like something, that means I'm going to like it. So I actually got even more excited that this might be actually a good movie and man, it hurts me to say I agree with critics. I agree. And, and again, I also come back to what we had said off the top. It's like, I don't know if it was because of how awesome the first Wonder Woman movie was. All but guaranteed that this movie was going to be a step down. Yeah. There was no way the sequel was going to be as good as the original. That first movie was just a masterpiece. It had its flaws. It wasn't perfect. But it was, again, one of my favorite standalone superhero movies. Not just DC, just in general. One of my favorite live-action superhero movies. And the fact that I watched that again, right literally 10 minutes before watching this movie, maybe that soured me on it right there. It could be. That movie, I think, is better than it should be. I would objectively say that it's actually not that good of a movie. But it's highly enjoyable anyway. The first one. Yeah, maybe, and, and maybe the thing is, is the creative, I don't know if I would call them creative risks, but the swings that they took in that movie worked. Right. And maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's just because, and maybe I'm more in the target audience for that. Maybe the war movie thing spoke to me better. Maybe the mythology thing spoke to me better. I mean, again, who knows? Maybe it just hit me at the right time. I don't know. Well, that's what I was saying about this one. I feel like it's kind of cobbled together. Like, they had ideas. They took a bunch of ideas and kind of created scenes around the ideas and then tried to find a way to mush them together. So instead of having, like, an overall movie, they just had individual scenes they wanted in a movie. Yeah, like, there was there was a lot of people have also pointed this out. It's like, I think there was, there was too much Chris Pine in this movie. Like, they played up, like, a third of the movie is a little bit too much on the Diana-Steve-Trevor relationship, which is arguably not necessary to tell the story that they were trying to tell, other than that they wanted to show that the the hero could be just as tempted as regular people. Well, that kind of goes into, I guess I'd skipped over the characters and acting portion that I wanted to talk about. Chris Pine, I thought he did fantastic with his part, but his part was bigger than it needed to be. That's what I mean. It's like too much of him in the movie. It's like, I don't think we needed him at all, but they could have made that less of a... Right. As far as the acting goes, though, I think he did the best job of anybody in the movie. Oh, yeah, he didn't do... Oh, yeah, I'm about to say, I don't think he was did bad at what he was asked to do, 
I just think that the, we didn't need that much of him in the movie. Yeah. And, and arguably, I don't know, maybe if they could have just found some other, I don't know what, how else, again, going back to what I just said, showing that even the hero could be tempted and that the right. hero had to be heroic enough to overcome that temptation to show us the way and, and with the speech and everything. So I guess it would kind of lose a little bit of its emotional weight if Diana was just the god above us that didn't make those kind of mistakes. Right. But if they could have found maybe a, a different way or different kind of mistake or something, but yeah, it just that really wasted a lot of, uh, of screen time for me. But like you said, it's like the the, the movie seems stitched together, and, and and maybe they could have find, yeah. found a better way to to tell the story. And like you also had mentioned earlier. They definitely seem to be in a lean into the campiness of the '70s Wonder Woman show in the '80s uh, Superman movies, which there is an audience for that. There is an audience for that, and again, I keep I guess hammering this home. It's just like the problem was is it's just such a tonal shift. Yeah. To do that with the same character, like Shazam was a, a campy cheesy movie, but in fairness, it's also a campy cheesy comic character. To take Wonder Woman and have the movie that they made with the first movie that had a very different tone to it and then try to take that same exact character and then completely change the tone so severely. I did see something where I think Patty Jenkins had said and Gal Gadot had said that they kind of wanted to make this movie almost as a standalone and kind of try to separate away from the rest of the universe. Which I think it might work better if you think of it that way, but it's still not still not entertaining to me. And that's where I was saying earlier, it's like it wasn't clearly laid out this way, but if that was kind of the implication of once Max renounced his wish, did that just poof the entire movie away? The meaning that that didn't actually happen. Yeah. That that was the dreamstone. Here's a dream of what could happen. What should have happened. Here we go. If they're going to be drawing from the old Superman movies, what should have happened is right when he renounces Wish, we get a everything in reverse scene where everything goes back to where he where he made the Wish, and he doesn't make the Wish, and instead he gets rid of the stone. And Christopher Reeves has a cameo flying backwards to reverse the Earth's axis right. to bring us back in time. <laughs> that... But no, no, in all honesty, if when he renounced his wish, we're back in his office, that doesn't completely fix everything because Diana already wished Steve back and Barbara did her wish. Yeah. But if somehow by renouncing his wish, we go like all the way back and like Barbara's like walking across when Barbara runs into Diana at the Smithsonian, she drops the Dreamstone and it breaks. There you go. None of that happened. That would have been better. It wouldn't have fixed the movie, but I think that might also, to your point, that might be the other reason why this is causing me so many problems, is continuity-wise. How is this the same character in the Justice League movies? How is this the same character in the previous right. movie? It does feel like a, a standalone pretend it's in an, an alternate universe. It's, it's, not, it's Earth 2 or something type of movie, not the character from the previous movie or the future movies. Yeah, this movie should have been called Wonder Woman Inconsistent. <laughs> or Alternative Wonder Woman. Jumping back real quick to the characters and acting, because I don't, I don't want to miss that. 
We both agree Chris Pine did a good job with what he had. We've already talked about Kristen Wiig and what we thought about her. What about Gal Gadot? What'd you think? She was reasonably good. I mean, I mean, I like her. And again, the, the questionable choices of her character, I already have screamed enough about that. Aside from that Steve thing, the rest of it, acting-wise, wasn't bad. I'm not sure she's really acting, but she is Wonder Woman. I mean, she personifies how I see Wonder Woman as a character. She's very charismatic. She's awesome as that role. I've not seen her in other things enough to really determine acting. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I don't really know her in much of el, uh, of anything else. So she's been relatively consistent in the portrayal of that character. So whether or not that's good acting or just she's just good at that one role, I don't and know. And then let's let's jump over to the man who has been described by people on Twitter as both the best and worst fathers in 2020 between Mandalorian and this movie, Pedro Pascal. All throughout this movie, I was like, can you put your Mando helmet on and shut up? <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's just like, I know Pedro Pascal is a good actor. I did not enjoy any aspect of that performance. I, I, I saw it as a chewing the scenery over the top. <laughs> Again, probably exactly what he was asked to do, yeah. but I didn't enjoy anything about that character. Or So I, mean, I don't think it was his acting. He did what he was asked to yes. do. I just didn't like the character. Spot on. My... my <laughs> My notes on it was he did a great job and he was just the right amount of over the top, but I don't like the character. I think he did a great job with a character that sucked. Pedro Pascal was was almost arguably also too much. And there was too much Chris Pine. I would argue there was probably too much Pedro Pascal too. Right. Like you had said earlier, the the Cheetah Wonder Woman. That would have been, if he was not, if, if that character was not in the movie, it might have been a better too. But yeah, there was too much. For a Wonder Woman, it, it's actually kind of a little bit weird. For a Wonder Woman movie, she's not, I mean, she's in it a lot, but there's too much. The supporting characters came too much to the forefront in yeah, this movie. Yeah, this movie was too much about Diana, not enough about Wonder Woman. Too much about Diana, but also not a very interesting Diana yeah. story. Like, I even stupid things like... So at the end of the first Wonder Woman movie, she's working at the Louvre. That was 1918. She's working at the Smithsonian. Shouldn't have at least been like a stupid scene where like Barbara walks into her office and says, is that you? And she's like, oh, no, that's my mom. She worked at the Louvre in the 1920s after World War One, And she's the reason why I got into antiquities and stuff. And that's how I got the job at the Smithsonian. Yeah, that could be. Because obviously she's had to fake her ID uh, identity multiple times because it wouldn't make any sense that she's the same Even person. She's still using the same name. Yeah, still using the same name and still looks exactly the same and hasn't aged at all. But right. again, nitpicky, nitpicky thing. Well, let's let's finish this off with the uh, mid credit scene. How awesome was it seeing Linda Carter? It was awesome, but it wasn't that awesome. The main thing I walked away from that going is like, um, so why didn't Asteria go back to Amazon Island? Well, she she never actually went to Amazon Island, though. Remember, she she stood behind so that they could retreat to Amazon Island. So she never even knew where it was. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Sure, she never knew where it was, so she never went yeah, back. Yeah, so she's but... been in Man's World this whole time. So why isn't she? Why didn't she recognize Wonder Woman and go find her and help mentor her into Man's World? and work with her maybe that's the next movie maybe so yeah it was like a nice nod but it wasn't it was like i think you as you had said when we were texting it was neat then that's about it, it, it. could have been better but it was cool to see her 
I mean, just just to give her that little bit of credit, because for the what forty years she she is Wonder Woman for most people. She didn't have to become like the Stan Lee of Wonder Woman movies and like show up as a cameo in every single one, but I wouldn't have a problem with that either. <laughs> yeah, me either. Actually, I, I honestly would have liked to see her as being the mother, the queen. That would have been better. Yeah, that was a that was a weird. I don't know why they didn't do that. That would have made sense. Anyways, I, I think that's all I really have to say about. Actually, we talked way more about a movie that had nothing to it than we have with some deeper movies. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Yeah. So again, I'll just end on, I apologize to anyone I may have offended with all of the screaming that I did on some of the parts of the movie that I didn't like, because I know there is a lot of people who do like the movie. And like we've said many times on the podcast, I'm not playing the hater to try to make you hate on something. It's like I'm just sharing my negative viewpoint. If you love Wonder Woman 1984, you have every right to and see whatever you want in the movie. And if you love it, then love it. You know, don't let an idiot like me try to convince you otherwise. Yeah, it's, it wasn't for me, and that's okay. If you enjoyed it, you enjoyed it. But if you were offended by Jim, make sure you reach out to him on Twitter and let him know. Indeed. Hey, this is Jim with a closing editor's note. As I was finalizing the editing of this episode... I kept thinking about how I really didn't provide a nice, succinct summary of my views on this movie, so I wanted to throw it in at the end. My biggest issue with Wonder Woman 1984 comes down to the ugly moral dilemma that is Handsome Man. That is the actual name of the character that Steve Trevor quantum leaps into the body of. My biggest issue is that in a movie supposedly built on the messages of truth over lies, compassion over selfishness, and peace over violence, Diana rapes handsome man without moral quandary or remorse. And this ugly moral dilemma at the heart of the movie's narrative is why I think it is a terrible superhero movie. It's also very frustrating because it could have easily been avoided by simply wishing Steve back into his own body, which completely eliminates the ugly moral dilemma of Handsome Man. However, even doing that, this transforms Wonder Woman 1984 into a disappointing superhero movie, because as Mike and I discussed throughout this episode, its muddled storytelling doesn't develop and deliver its underlying messages effectively. And that's a wrap on our episode on Wonder Woman 1984. Lasso, folks! Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. Reach out to us on Twitter at FanboyandHater. Email us at thefanboyandthehater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.